Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to localjobnetwork.com radio, the place to get career insight and comprehensive information from experts across all industries. This is I Want to Be A, where each episode we examine a new profession, bringing you an experienced guest from the field to give us the inside scoop. And today, I want to be a forensic pathologist. Now, don't worry if you're not quite sure what that is exactly. We will get into those details and find out if it is a potential career path for you. To fill us in on the world of forensic pathology, we have Dr. Marcus Nischelski joining the show. Dr. Nischelski is the vice president of the National Association of Medical Examiners, as well as a professor at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. Dr. Nischelski, thanks for coming on the show. Good morning. I guess the first question usually people have in this setup is, what attracted you to this industry? Is this something you always had an idea you wanted to do? Did something pique this interest? Take us back to when that all started. Well, forensic pathology is hardly an industry. It's a, it's a profession. It's a specialization within the broader area of medicine. I'm a doctor. My niche is forensic pathology. I thought I was going to be a family physician when I went to medical school many <laughs> years ago. I've ended up in a, in a very different part of medicine. I was intrigued initially during medical school by pathology, which is laboratory medicine. Mm-hmm. I was intrigued and interested by the way pathologists are the, the doctor's doctors, in a sense. Right. We assist other physicians in their efforts to diagnose disease and injury and to help their patients. Pathology provided a broad scope of review of human disease for me that I found very exciting. I thought I would be a general hospital pathologist while I was in pathology residency, but I had a mentor and a role model and an experience during residency with autopsy pathology and forensic pathology that caused me to, to rethink my, my end point in pathology. And I sought further training then in forensic pathology, which is really the, the area of pathology centered on the study of diseases mm-hmm. and injuries that can cause death suddenly and unexpectedly. Much of our work is performed through autopsies, which I think are commonly very misrepresented in the, the entertainment media that bombards us every day. Should I talk a little bit about what, what an autopsy is? Yeah, I mean, you can go into that. And actually, I'm curious, you mentioned it, that it's a little bit misrepresented, which we hear a lot, by the way, about a lot of different professions, that it's not quite the way that TV and, and movies portray it. So yeah, definitely, you can go into a little bit of that. Well, an autopsy is, from my perspective as a practicing autopsy pathologist, an examination of a, of a now deceased patient, which is clearly focused on the end point of clarifying why that person died, or how that person came to be dead. The autopsy is an examination of the patient, which is very much like the examination that physicians perform on living patients as well, Hmm. except that it's more comprehensive and and more detailed and, and certainly has a broad internal examination component that is not available, obviously, to most physicians when examining their living patients. So unlike TV, where the autopsy is portrayed as this somewhat glamorous or mysterious or both process functioning hand-in-hand with law enforcement, the autopsy of today in the medical examiner world and in the hospital world is more correctly a respectful and detailed medical and surgical procedure with a clear endpoint of describing injuries and describing diseases. We forensic pathologists work with law enforcement officers on many of our cases, Mm -hmm. but rarely are we beholden to or in the hierarchy of a law enforcement organization.
organization. Sure. More commonly, the forensic pathologist and, and the medical examiner are within a public health environment, or the medical examiner may work in a standalone office in a municipal area. We work with law enforcement, but clearly we do much of our work independently from law enforcement. It's a very important distinction that is not, not evident from, from watching portrayal of forensic pathologists and medical examiners on TV. Now, why do you say that it's an important distinction as far as people's perceptions and, and how you go about your business? Exactly, exactly. Perception is often parallel to reality. There should be no perception or, or misunderstanding that forensic pathologists and medical examiners work for law enforcement or that law enforcement controls the diagnostic outcomes that forensic pathologists offer right. after, after completing an autopsy. We're physicians first and foremost, and our primary work is centered on the correct and thoughtful examination of our patients who are, who are deceased. So the information that arises from an autopsy examination, whether it's a death due to heart disease or a, or a homicide due to gunshot wounds, should be presented in a way that represents the decedent as well as possible. Our medical opinions about cause of death are independent and one hopes the result of excellent training and years of experience mm -hmm. in the field of forensic pathology. Sometimes our opinions are not favorable to law enforcement or are not favorable to a particular hospital's care offered to a patient and so on. That's the real world, right. and that's, that's how we practice medicine as forensic pathologists. And really, that's how a physician in any specialty should practice his or her work, and that is primary allegiance to the patient. Well, and that is one thing I hope the listeners have caught on to is that even though we are talking about individuals who are deceased, you're still referring them to them as patients and you're treating them as though they were, as though you were treating an individual who was coming into a, a clinic to get a checkup. And I think that is a, I think it's an important thing I hope people can take away from this. Now, on a daily basis, what, what does your task look like? What are you doing on a daily? I'm sure it changes, but can you give us an idea of what the world is for you uh, day to day? Well, I can try, but, but you're right. My days are diverse and often unpredictable. I'm an academic forensic pathologist, which means that my work is embedded in a university hospital and a medical school, sure. which lends even more diversity to my day than many other forensic pathologists might have. First and foremost, I'm, I'm a medical examiner and a forensic pathologist, which means that I am active on the ground as a physician who evaluates individual cases that are within the jurisdiction of the Johnson County, Iowa Medical Examiner Department. Cases that come to the attention of our Medical Examiner Department are essentially deaths which are sudden and unexpected mm -hmm. in somebody who was thought to be pretty well, deaths which are obviously due to an injury or possibly due to an injury, and finally deaths that are unattended, which means that a death in an older person with significant disease, such as heart disease, okay. may occur at home unattended. Sure. These are the three large categories of deaths that come to the attention of a medical examiner in, in my jurisdiction here in Johnson County and, and nationwide. Maybe 20% of deaths in the United States fall into one of those categories. So my job as a medical examiner in Johnson County is to work with our investigators and evaluate how to best approach and best handle and best resolve each case in our jurisdiction. Sometimes that evaluation process will require performance of an autopsy. 
our endpoint really is to identify as well as we can the cause of death and the manner of death. These are phrases that are that are often bandied about, may not have an obvious or clear definition to those who aren't in, in this medical examiner world. The cause of death is simply defined as the disease process or the injury process that resulted in the patient's death. We try to name these diseases as far as heart disease or diabetes okay. or a gunshot wound and so on. The other part of our mission is to identify the manner of death. This describes the circumstances of the onset of the disease or the onset of the injury. There are four primary categories. They're natural, accident, suicide, and homicide. Finally, once in a while, we're not able to be certain enough about the manner of death. In that case, we may invoke a fifth category, which is called undetermined. Hmm. Most deaths, however, though, fall readily into one of the four categories of natural accident, suicide, or homicide. Sure. So how often, and it might not just be you personally, but in general, if you could give us an idea, how often does it happen where you would be testifying in a court case and actually being a part of all those proceedings as opposed to just doing your, you know, your usual work of examining the body? Well, it's fairly uncommon, which, okay. which may be a surprise to your listeners. Almost every time I'm in court, it is related to an autopsy I've performed on a homicide case. Sure. Homicides make up a very small percentage of the typical medical examiner caseload. In fact, deaths due to disease processes make up more than 50% of the caseload in most medical examiner's offices. Hmm. Homicides make up a tiny fraction of our caseload. That said then, I examine fairly few homicides, and therefore there are fairly few trials that follow these homicides. Right. I'm involved in a trial or a trial-related deposition about once each month on average. Okay. And that is interesting. I mean, like you said, I think, of course, it's glorified, so to speak, on TV and, and in movies because, I mean, that's sort of the subject matter that's being covered. Um, and that can be misleading as you're informing us here. So I think it's good for the listeners to understand that portion of it. Now, does it ever take an emotional toll on you or had it in the past as far as, you know, seeing all these individuals that have deceased in one way or another? Or are there certain aspects that, that do get to you? I mean, fill us in a little bit on, on some of that mentality. It's a difficult question for me to answer because Frankly, I'm not very objective in that I, I don't look well inwardly or I don't look well at myself, I think. Hmm. Maybe a better person to ask would be my wife since we live together every day. Is she around? I can, I can talk to her if you like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at work. She's not around. Okay, she's, okay. she's at her workplace. All right. But the issue really is, is, is how well forensic pathologists and, and physicians in almost every specialty, for that matter, can compartmentalize our, our work life and our personal life. Mm -hmm. I think that I do this pretty well in that when I leave work and go home, I am usually able to, to shed or leave the, the difficulties of work at work. Clearly, what I see and what other physicians and some specialties see is often very tragic mm -hmm. and, and sad and, and has a, a very real social ripple effect. That's part of my job, and perhaps I am able to leave it at work fairly well. I think most physicians need to be able to find a way to compartmentalize as I think I have. But I suppose I'm not sure that I do it as well as I think I do it. And you're right. It is a tough question to answer for oneself. And, um, you know, I think it's just important, again, to touch on that side of it, that understand if you go into a profession like this, that is going to be an aspect you are going to have to work on. So speaking of that, 
what sort of skills would you point out to the listeners or even also personality traits, which would be lending themselves more to success in this career that you think are essential? Again, in terms of skills, personality, work ethic, what would you point to? Well, I think the fundamental skills required for forensic pathology are those skills which are required to be successful in, in most areas of medicine. One needs to be compulsive, inquisitive, thorough, and passionate about what one does every day. One needs to be willing and excited about being a lifelong learner. I'm mid-career or beyond, uh, to be sure, and yet I'm still excited by my daily uh, learning moments. I teach a lot because I'm in an academic setting, but I also learn a lot every day, and that continues to excite me. And I think that that mentality of excitement teaching and excitement learning is vital to the, the health and success of physicians in forensic pathology or, or any part of medicine. Let's move into that side of it a little bit as far as education goes, because as you mentioned, you know, you're going to have to have a certain amount of passion and, and you need to obviously learn the skills necessary to accomplish these items in your career. What would listeners be looking at in terms of their path and the road to being a forensic pathologist? It's a fairly long trajectory, as in most areas of medicine. These days, one must have a bachelor's degree at a minimum to be admitted to medical school. Mm -hmm. And of course, a bachelor's degree is usually uh, a four-year study. Medical school is four years long. Following medical school, one should become a pathologist in order to become later a forensic pathologist. General pathology residency training is, is also a four-year program. Oh, wow. Then gains specialized forensic pathology training in a one-year fellowship. So if you do the math, we're looking at four years of undergraduate training, four years of medical school, four years of residency, and then one year of forensic pathology fellowship at the end. Most of us are in our early 30s by the time we finally finish the, the formal part of our training right. and, and enter, enter the workforce. Well, and again, that's something that's vital for our listeners to know and understand. And I think if they know that this is a medical position, that they already have that idea that, okay, I'm going to be doing this for a number of years before I jump into the profession. But again, I think um, it is always important to know what the details are. Another aspect that people always ask, and um, we like to get the inside scoop, so to speak, is in terms of compensation. People are thinking how long it's going to take to get into this. There are the challenges to a position like this. Can you give us a, a ballpark idea of what individuals would be looking at as far as a salary or as far as what they would be looking at when they enter the, the career? I can try. There's a lot of variation. Of course. Most forensic pathologists are public servants, which means that we work for a university or a county or a state government rather than being in private practice. Mm -hmm. That means that we are paid on a salary rather than in a free market. Most starting salaries for forensic pathologists are in the low to mid 100s. Okay. And then as a public servant, one will then receive incremental increases year to year, one hopes. This should dispel the myth that, that all physicians are very highly compensated. Certainly, forensic pathologists as public employees and public servants are not as well compensated as many other medical specialties. Sure. Well, and as you said, obviously having a passion for doing this is going to 
take you a long way as well. But as we mentioned, our listeners do like to have an idea of what they'd be getting into and and what they could look at as far as the compensation side of things go. Unfortunately, we are, we are quickly running out of time and I wanted to just give you the floor at the end, give our listeners a takeaway that if you were in the shoes of being a job seeker, maybe looking to get into this as a career, what would you want them to know? What do they need to know if they want to be successful in attaining this job and also being successful? Well, thanks for giving me this final opportunity. Forensic pathology is a medical specialty that allows me to be a public servant and, and a sort of junior public health officer that distinguishes my work from many other medical specialties. I feel that I'm able to make a contribution to improving the health of the public through medical examiner work and forensic pathology. And I also feel that I'm able to assist in evaluation of injuries that often become apparent in the course of my forensic pathology and medical examiner work. So somebody who wants to be a medical examiner should should forget about the idea that most of our cases are homicides and gunshot wound related fatalities. Really, most of our work involves description of diseases that may be under-recognized or under-diagnosed and recognition of injury patterns that may improve product design down the road. And finally, forensic pathologists have the privilege of being a part of our judicial system through involvement in, in courts. It's an honor that I think is rare and special. I enjoy being a part of the judicial system and helping juries understand my work and how a particular individual came to die. Well, clearly you have a, a passion and a, a love for what you do and understanding the, the broader picture of everything. And I think you've done a, a very nice job of filling our listeners in on what this career would entail as well. As I said, though, we do have to wrap up this edition of I Want to Be A. Again, we've been looking at forensic pathology, if you have any interest in that. We've been speaking today with Dr. Marcus Nashelski. He is the vice president of the National Association of Medical Examiners, as well as a professor at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. Dr. Nashelski, thanks again for coming on, sharing some of your insights. We do appreciate the inside look into this career. You're very welcome. And as always, if you're looking to send any comments or questions our way, just email us at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also find us on Twitter at the LJN. For everyone at LJN Radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody. 